Let's appreciate Adrian and the worship team and thank God for their continued excellence and ministry to us, leading us to the throne. Uh, it's a joy once again to be uh, before you uh, this evening. Uh, and the parts where I come from, at moments like this, we say we are hyena happy and peacock proud to be here. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you again as we prepare to go to God's Word tonight. I just want to again say thank you um, for the kindness that you have shown me and allowed me to be a part of uh, this momentous uh, time on your calendar to be with your families. Um, it's not a small thing that uh, Mount Hermon and you families have opened up uh, your, your hearts and your, your, your um, fellowship to me. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much uh, to, to Mike and to Dave and Jeremy and uh, Michael and Josh and so many of the team that makes this place go. Uh, it's no small thing that you would show me the kindness to extend to me an invitation to come here and serve and be with you. And so uh, thank you for the honor you've given my family uh, to have been yet another one of a long line of servants who have come to be here and serve over this last century or so. Thank you so much for the kindness you've extended to me. Uh, I bring you greetings on behalf of April. As I mentioned last night, my family uh, headed home. Uh, yesterday morning. Unfortunately, I have to head home in the morning. I've got a congregation to tend to. Uh, this weekend, we have Saturday night services, so I got to fry the chicken a little earlier, and I uh, got to go ahead and get back, and I miss my babies, and I'm ready to, to go and um, hang out with them. I was texting April early today, and I said, how's it going? And she says, one minute I want to kiss them, the next minute I want to kill them. <laughs> and so I said, oh, everything's going normal. You know, so it's, Typical day. Uh, so I just um, uh, enjoy her, and I just ask for your prayers for us. Uh, I called her before service began, which is our tradition. She always puts her hand over me, and she just prays over me. And uh, when she's not here, I feel it, you know, and uh, she's praying for, for me in our stead. Um, I, I, I got an assignment I'm going to get to, I promise. Uh, but I, I want to ask for your prayers. Um, <laughs> 700 people, let me get some prayers up. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, I just want to uh, vulnerably uh, uh, ask that you would remember Southwest Church uh, in your prayers. Uh, we've only been there 18 months and uh, still getting settled, still kind of figuring out rhythms, uh, but it's just an exciting movement of God's spirit that's happening down in the desert. And I'm just asking if you ever think of the desert and think of uh, Ricky in April, uh, remember Southwest Church uh, in your prayers. Um, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to personally ask you to pray over my life and uh, just pray that God would protect me. Um, what we're talking about tonight is kind of connected to the prayer request I'm about to make. Ask uh, that God would protect me and keep me holy and keep me from scandal. Amen. And keep me from foolishness. Um, where I come from in the country, we say, keep your nose clean. Pray that God would help me keep my nose clean and that I would partner with God to do that. We say now to preachers, uh, it used to be that sin would take you out. Now the very rumor of it will take you out. And never before has there been um, more of a, a need for men and women of God uh, to do what we are called to do publicly and privately. So would you pray protection and integrity uh, over me? Uh, secondly, would you pray and ask Jesus uh, to continue to give me a shepherd's heart over a preacher's heart? 
and uh, that's how I was trained. But um, the, the bigger your church gets, the, the bigger the enemy tries to make your head. And I feel that sometimes. And I uh, ask that the Lord would keep me postured lowly before him, that I would continue to be a lover of people even more than I love preaching. Would you pray that over my soul? I'm honestly a, a little ecstatic to get back home because there's some people in my church that are suffering, and I miss them. And it's time to go see them. I'm a cancer survivor, and I bet there's a bunch of cancer survivors out there. I bet there are a few of you that are battling the battle uh, right now. And so whenever my people are going through cancer, that just kind of hits me the hardest. We've got about five or six people that need a miracle from Jesus uh, right now. And uh, um, the way I kind of do it is a big church, a few thousand folks, but if you are facing death, you're on my call list. That's who I know and I spend time with. And so I'm looking forward to some visitations next week and to go lay beside some beds and pray and cry and uh, because that's what it's supposed to be about. So would you pray that I would always be uh, a true man of God, whether people are looking or whether they're not? Would you pray that over me? And then finally, would you simply pray that the Holy Spirit would save uh, many in the Coachella Valley? I want to see many, many, many people come to Jesus. And would you join me in that prayer? Uh, so thank you, Mount Hermon. Uh, should my sermons fail, may my thanksgiving not I just appreciate this time that you've given me to be with you. For what it's worth, I'm going to preach and get out of your way. Uh, but man, if, if I could uh, meet some of you, if, I could, if God has compelled you to um, let me partner with you and pray for you, I just, I'd like to do that uh, for what it's worth. I know you got stuff to do, but I just want to uh, touch and agree with you if God would say the same. Now, let's get to work. Um, this is another sermon that I don't want to preach. To whet your appetite. Um, tonight, tonight I'm going to talk to you about sanctification, <laughs> which is like breaking every preacher rule for how to close your series, right? Tonight we're going to talk about what we don't want to talk about. It's sanctification, and uh, it's a fancy church term that really t- speaks about the partnership that happens when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit now makes his abode in your heart, uh, which means that God has full access to you. And he is constantly pursuing you and pulling him closer and closer to himself so that your life looks like Jesus. That's kind of what I want to talk to you about tonight. Um, It's a challenging sermon. I know it is for me. Maybe I'm just preaching it for me and you get to, you have to listen in, but hopefully it can bless you uh, as well. So tonight I want to talk to you about um, sanctification. There are some sermons that, man, you hear them, they're just amazing, right? Like, this is off the chain. Like today I told Mark that's literally one of the best sermons I've ever heard. John 11 was amazing. I'm stealing it all, right? It was amazing. <laughs> so there's some sermons you just hear and it's just like, wow, it's like, a, it's like a meal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my gosh, it was like strawberry shortcake with powdered sugar and homemade whipped cream on the top. It was just delicate and delicious and sweet going down. And then there's some sermons that are just hearty and thick and rich and meaty, kind of like a like a 16-ounce tomahawk, tomahawk steak, right? Seared to perfection, a perfect medium with the juices oozing on the side and a big old lobster tail, and there's the butter sauce right there, and then there's some crisp green asparagus, not a lot, so that it doesn't mess up the rest, just three spears. Um, so there's just this the delectable meal, and the sermon just feels amazing, right? This is not that sermon. This is, um, this is broccoli. 
This is broccoli. No Parmesan cheese sprinkled on the top. In fact, this broccoli ain't even steamed. It's, it's raw broccoli. And you know how you get to a party and they have the raw broccoli and the raw carrots and you expect the raw ranch dressing so you can actually make this thing go down and they don't have the ranch? Who are those people? That's what this sermon is. <laughs> but how many of you know that with all the meals you've eaten, it was the broccoli meals that made you strong? Tonight, God just wants to make us strong. And I, I want to talk about what to do about growth. Because whoever you are tonight, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus is not done with you. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your setbacks have been in your past, hear the good news of the gospel. Our Lord and our Savior is not done with you. We visit now a Roman prison 2,000 years ago. An aged apostle is wrestling with the beneficence of grace. And he writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Everybody say, kill it. Kill it. Say it with a little bit more ghetto. Kill it. Kill it. Perfect. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I have read from the greatest book ever written. And I bear witness this day that all of its words are true. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, we're not living longer. We're living sicker. We're not living longer. We're living sicker. Mount Hermon, this is a quote uh, from a book entitled, How Not to Die, written by a physician by the name of Dr. Michael Greger, How Not to Die, uh, in a supposed attempt uh, to downplay, if you will, the supposed good news of the fact that we in this country, uh, in the modern era, are experiencing a longer life expectancy uh, in this book, How Not to Die, Dr. Michael Greger goes on to argue that just because we're living a longer life later doesn't necessarily mean that we're living a good life now. Uh, take, for instance, his argument that, true, we are enjoying a longer life expectancy than we ever have before in this country. His research shows that the number of actual healthy years we're living 
its way down. In fact, his argument is that although true, yes, we are enjoying a longer life expectancy than 100 years ago we could have ever imagined. The truth is the number of actual healthy years that we're living is down, way down, even before just a generation ago. Of course, the question that you got to ask of Dr. Michael Greger is this, uh, why? If Dr. Greger were here, he would say that the culprit is our diet. He, he says, essentially, you really are what you eat. Change your diet. Now, parenthetically, I realize how awkward it is for someone like me to give an illustration like this, but stay with me anyways. <laughs> he says to us, change your diet. So imagine uh, your shock as a reader when you're reading this book and you learn that what we eat is the number one cause of premature death in this country. Imagine the shock when you learn as a reader uh, that what we eat is the number one cause of disability in this country. Uh, imagine when you learn as a reader when although our, what we eat is our number one problem, he surveyed thousands upon thousands of patient visits and he learned that even though what we eat is our number one problem, on average, our primary care physicians only talk to us about our diet for just 10 seconds of visit. So Dr. Greger says to the country, change your diet. You really are what you eat. Uh, change your diet. He says, who knows? Your disease may go away. Uh, change your diet. Who knows? Your number of actual healthy years on this earth may be longer. And change your diet. Dr. Greger says, even if none of those things ever change, he promises that on some level, your life will get better. Now, whereas Dr. Greger talks to us about our physical diet, when you come to Colossians chapter 3, Dr. Paul is talking to us about our spiritual diet. Essentially, he's saying to the Christian, Christian, you really are what you eat. Change your diet. His argument in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is this, Christian... Just because you're living a longer life later, translation, eternity, that doesn't mean that you get a pass to live sicker now. Change your diet. Paul says, do the hard work of pursuing Christ more than you ever have before, and who knows? Change your diet. Paul says, your disease of addiction may go away. Change your diet. Paul says, who knows? Your number of actual, healthy, ministry, effective years on this earth may be longer. Uh, change your diet. It seems to me that Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3, even if none of those things change, on some level, your life will get better. I, I want to teach, and I want to teach about the doctrine of sanctification, which is breaking every rule of preaching, but it's keeping every rule of Scripture. And I want to talk about what it means for you and I to not only love Jesus, but let Jesus lead us as well in our lives. And in so doing, what I want to do is bring up these four truths about sanctification. Here we go, table of contents for our time together this evening. Uh, Paul wants to teach us what sanctification is, uh, why sanctification is important, uh, what sanctification is not, and then finally, how sanctification happens. I'd like to tag this text, what to do about growth. Let's pray. Father, you've not promised to bless the antics of mere homiletics and mankind. You've promised to bless the truth of your word. So Holy Spirit, use this text, use me, use this crowd to make your name famous. In Jesus' name we pray. Every heart said, amen. amen. Y'all ready to have a little church? Seven, seven of us. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I want to talk to you about sanctification. And the first thing I want to wrestle with is this idea of what sanctification is. 
uh, what sanctification is. Now, we are in the letter of Colossians, and I promise you that we would serve you well were I to have done nothing but read the letter of Colossians and sit down. And I want to submit to you that this epistle that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago is just that worthy, it is just that rich, it is just that life-changing. In fact, friends, this is what I like to say about the letter of Colossians. It is one of the most exquisite distillations of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our entire Bible. It is one of the most exquisite distillations of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our entire Bible. Why? Because Paul's thesis for the letter to Colossae is essentially this. He is trying to reckon with the preeminence and the prominence of Christ. Hallelujah to his great name. He is trying to wrestle with the preeminence and the prominence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No wonder when you flip through the letters of Colossians, you come to chapter 2, verse 9, and Paul says, In him, speaking of Jesus Christ, was the fullness of deity dwelling bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. It is Christological perfection in the letters of Colossians. He's talking about the preeminence and the prominence of Christ. So just know when you read Colossians, he's trying to labor to wrestle with that thing. In chapter 1, he tries to expound upon the person of Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, he says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's talking to us about the person of Christ. But then he talks to us about the power of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 14, when he says that, yes, because of our sin, there was a record of debt that stood against us. And I'm here to tell you that if you multiply the lives that have experienced life in this world, and the amount of sin that we have all transmitted against God and you see the great weight that was our sin, I want you to know that our sin compiled all together was nothing against the blood of Jesus Christ. And my Bible says, chapter 2, verse 14, that he took the record of debt that stood against us and my Bible said, my Jesus had the power to nail our transgressions to the cross. What does that mean? If you're in Christ tonight, there's no more sin on your record. You are free. You're goose is cooked. You're going to heaven because Jesus has power. He talks about the person of Jesus. He talks about the power of Jesus. And as we flip to chapter three, he's now talking about the purpose of Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus looks something like this. The same Jesus who died and rose again to save you is the same Jesus who died and rose again to help you live saved. Did you hear that, Mount Hermon? That, 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 that the purposes of Christ was not just to save me, but to so imbue me with the power of his spirit that he's willing to help me live saved. It's the vision, the holistic vision of the gospel. You need to hear this. Jesus didn't just come into your life at, when you were 16 at camp and you were all snot-nosed and convicted and came down the altar singing just as I am, saying, uh, come into my life, Jesus. And then you get saved and Jesus says, you're done. I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, when you came to faith, it began an eternal partnership where Jesus says, I've got your hand. I'll never let it go. Now let's walk and let's move forward in what I have for you in your life. It's the idea that he didn't just die and rise again to save you. He died and rose again to help you live saved. Enter in sanctification. 
That's all, that's all that we mean when we say sanctification. So in verse 1, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, translation, you have come to Jesus in faith. He says, now start a process with God. Start partnering with God. Start leaning into God. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. It's the idea that if Jesus has saved you, he has a plan to help you live safe. Stay with me in the classroom for a few minutes. I promise we are going to church. We are talking about sanctification. Pastor John Piper said of sanctification that the bad news is that for the culture, sanctification has become an irrelevant term. But for the church, it must never become an irrelevant reality. What he's saying is that sanctification, hear it, is plausibly the most important conversation that Jesus is ever going to have with you outside of the conversation to invite you to come put your heart in him in faith. Did you hear that? Because sanctification is plausibly the most important conversation Jesus is going to have with you for the remainder of your life. Let's do a little kind of book study here and talk about sanctification. It's a Latin term, old school Latin term, a compound term. On the one hand, you've got the Latin term sanctus, and on the other side, you've got the, the Latin term facare. Sanctus, facare. Sanctus mean, meaning holy, facare meaning to make. Holy to make. When we say sanctification, all we're talking about is God's power to make you holy. When you hear holy, just think pure. When you hear pure more than anything, think obedient. When you hear obedient, think just living a life that looks like Jesus. Bible says he has the power to help you do that increasingly in your life. I'm getting hazy looks. We had train day yesterday. I've got to work a little hard. I'm fighting against a prime rib devil, so let me come to your neighborhood and say it this way, Okay? You're saved. Spirit's on the inside of you. Let's say you get trapped up in lust of the eyes. You, you start feeding on things that you shouldn't be feeding on. Things like pornography, lasciviousness. You like gore. You like seeing, seeing wickedness with your eyes. And you get trapped in that thing. But because you're saved and because the Spirit's on the inside of you, Though you are in sin, you can't have peace in sin. That's the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit begins to convict you. Translation, he refuses to allow you to have peace while there's sin in your life. Uh, you start to wake up to that sin. You start to confess that sin. You start to get some accountability. You start to get some help. And nudge by nudge, you start turning towards another direction. That's sanctification. Uh, you've been cheating on taxes for years. And everybody knows there's three people you don't mess with. The I the aura, and the S. <laughs> You've been cheating on your taxes for years, but hey, you're saved now. The spirit of the living God's on the inside of you. You now love Jesus more than you love your money. And you begin to make adjustments, and you begin to tell the truth, and you begin to walk integrity. And slowly by slowly, you begin to experience victory. That's sanctification. You're married, you're in love, but you are full of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you start to tiptoe into a relationship that's outside of that marital covenant. You start to kind of flirt. You start to kind of dip, dip, dive deep into that relationship. Before you know it, there's affection there. Before you know it, maybe there's even sexual intercourse there. But your heart breaks because you can't be a Christian and have peace in your sin. And you confess that junk and you're willing to go through the turmoil of that madness. But inch by inch, you turn back into the other direction. Folks, when we say sanctification, we mean this and more. In all of these cases, what was happening? I was living one way. The Spirit convicted me, 
and now I'm living another way. That's what we mean when we say sanctification. Stay with me in the classroom for a few more minutes. I promise we're going to church. Paul put it this way in Romans 6. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Folks, what's Paul's big idea here? He's basically saying that all we mean when we say sanctification is that the Holy Spirit is helping you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And that's the good news of the gospel. That we're not talking about some kind of rote, robotic performance. We're talking about God's willingness to not leave you to yourself, but to help you be obedient to him. That's good news. That God doesn't even leave it up to you for you to figure out him. He realizes he's even got to help you do what you know you're supposed to do. Now, that may not have made sense, but I want to shout on it right now. The fact that I'm not alone in what God has called me to do. Let me give you a definition. Here it is. When we say sanctification, we're talking about the progressive. Everybody say progressive. Progressive. It's the progressive work of God and humankind that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I think the key word in the good news is the word progressive. (laughs) Like, I'm so glad it doesn't say perfect. I'm, I'm just glad it says progressive. It's the idea that I'm a work in progress and God is working on me. The key word is progressive, right? I mean, anybody out, out there been saved by Jesus but don't have yet a life that looks like Jesus? Thank you. Oh, so I'm glad you rose your hands because that was going to be so awkward. Anyways, <laughs> it's the idea that we are progressive. It's a progressive work. So the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, for we are transformed, we're being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. What was Paul trying to say? It's a process that God is patiently willing to work alongside ours, right? Uh, Josh, I don't know if you guys have this diagram uh, that I sent you, but notice this is what we mean when we say sanctification. Over here, I'm a sinner. I don't know about the gospel, but then I come to faith, and over time, I grow, okay? Now, what you need to know about perfection is that that's not what Ricky's talking about. There's coming a day where you and I will be perfect. It's the same day you die. Okay, so there's coming a day when I'm going to be perfect, and I can't wait for that day. Jesus is going to give me a brand new body. I'm going to have a six-pack of abs. I'm going to trade in for my my keg for a six-pack. I'm going to be looking good. I'm going to be on the beach and unashamed in the name of Jesus Christ. I'll be eating Taco Bell at midnight and will never care. It's going to be great. (laughs) For now, notice all of us are on a journey. We're all on a process. Anyone else's sanctification look like this line? Did you notice it doesn't look like this, right? But my testimony is this red line. My testimony is a couple of months on fire for Jesus and my word every day. Oh, my gosh, my wife thinks I'm amazing. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) can I get a witness? I'm faithful at the church. I'm fired up about ministry. And all of a sudden, I don't know where that sound effect even came from, but, <laughs> but it's the idea that there's ups and there's downs. Can, can I get an up and down witness, right? Some of you aren't going to like this joke, so email me. I won't read it, but anyways, 
One of my fathers in the ministry is a man named Bishop Kenneth C. Ulmer. And Bishop Ulmer says it best when he says this. Before I found Jesus, if you mess with me, I would cuss you slap out. But now that I found Jesus, I'll cuss you way less. Now, some of you don't want to say amen, but you know on the inside. <laughs> it's the fact that we're just up and down. When we say sanctification, that's what we mean. Let's keep going. Why is sanctification important? Everyone looking this way. It's because God wants you to grow. When I was praying about this earlier, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you this. And some of you need to hear this. God told me to tell you, God is a daddy. He's heavenly father, he's great, he's majestic, he's mighty, he's the great and thunderous Lord. Yes, but he's also Abba, father. He's dad. And I'm telling you guys, some of you are dads and some of you had a dad. And you know that at the end of the day, all the old man wanted you to do was be all you could be. That's the heart of our father towards us. He's just a dad who who loves you as you are, but doesn't want to leave you where you are. And no self-respecting, benevolent dad is satisfied with their child not meeting their ultimate potential. And that's all we mean when we say sanctification. It's not God saying, hey, shape up or ship out. It's God saying, you've got potential. And I died and rose again for you, and I didn't die and rise again for you to be average. I died and rose again for you to be the best you that you can be. That's why sanctification is important. So here's the good news of the gospel, folks. Jesus loves you just as you are. Get that. Okay? He, he just refuses to leave you where you are. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, for God has shown his love towards us in this, that while we were yet in our sins, translation, he loves us where we are, but refuses to leave us where we are. So this is what I want you to hear, okay? The aim of the gospel is not just your Christianity, but also your Christian maturity. The aim of the gospel is not just Christianity, it's Christian maturity. Ricky, give me some Bible, I'm glad you asked. Colossians 1, verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, here it is, mature in Christ. It's the Greek word teleos, which means complete. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So notice in verse 1, verse 2, Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, he says, Now start a wonderful partnership with Christ and seek those things that are above. It's the idea that God loves you as you are but just doesn't want to leave you where you are. Um, I've been talking about my kids all week because I'm in love with my kids, and I've got a two-year-old named Grandy. There's a picture that they're going to flash up there of my, my, my babies. And um, the one on uh, your left is my oldest boy, Cam. That's the one who went squirrel and ran, you know, anyways, that's Cam. This is my, my, my baby boy. He's two now. That's Grand, okay? Baby Grand is what we call him. Grand is a riot. Okay, he is just a mess, and you just need to know he's got his daddy's heart. I love him (laughs) just as he is. Um, The other day, uh, he just got out of diapers a a few weeks ago, so uh, kind of the last run of diapers, he had kind of, you know, soiled himself, and so parents, you know this, I got him on the... I got them on the couch and, you know, flipping up the legs, you know, Um, and and parents, you know how it is. I got four wipes, right? You know, can I get a four wipes, right, right? Like one is for the, the big stuff and two is for the crevices, and three is for the polish, but that fourth one is for just in case. (laughs) 
Can I get a just-in-case witness? You know what I'm saying? And so I'm, just, I'm, I'm finishing up the just-in-case, and then I'm just looking down at sweet little Grandy, and he flashes this devil, devilish grin, and he looks up at me, and I look down at him, and he looks up at me, and I look down at him, and he gives me a pregnant pause, and then he rips the loudest John Deere tractor fart right in my face. I mean, like, I mean, it was terrible. I mean, I could feel the reverberation of the air against my cheek. And I'm just looking at him like, oh, my gosh, you little joker. And I looked at him, and he bust out laughing. <laughs> and then I look at my wife, and she goes, <laughs> Then I look at them both, and I go, <laughs> It was hilarious. Because I love him just as he is. But if 30 years pass... And he's still on my couch <laughs> with John Deere tractor farts that ain't cute no more. That's what God wants to say to us tonight. God also said, don't get this twisted. You're my baby. You're cute. I love you just as you are. But the truth is, is that for some of us, 30 years have passed and we're still in the same old cycles. Same old struggles, same old vices, same old addictions, same old tired friends that mean us no gospel good. Some point you got to wake up and say, this ain't cute no more. Daddy wants me to grow. Why is sanctification important? Because Jesus wants me to grow. Real quickly, before I get out of here, let me just cover what sanctification is not. Some of you are new to the Gospels, you, you, uh, the Gospel, you're new to the Bible, you're new to theology, and, th and that's fine. But let me just kind of cover something that poor Mark will have to fix for me in the morning. Uh, just as important as you know what sanctification is, it's, just, it's important for you to know what sanctification is not. This is all I want you to hear. When we're talking about sanctification, we're not talking about salvation in and of itself. I think it's just important for you to know that. Sanctification is what happens after you are regenerated, after you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, after you've put your trust and faith in Jesus. It starts now a lifelong process through the power of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, working on the inside of you. When I say sanctification, I'm not talking about justification, which is a big term for salvation. So notice all the verbs in the passage. Paul says, set your mind. Right? Seek those things that are above. Put to death all these action verbs, but never does he qualify these verbs to say, you do these things for salvation. He, he says, you just do these things from salvation. Translation, the spirit of God is on the inside of you. You're in a love affair with Jesus, and more than anything, you want to please him in your life. So notice in Colossians 1, Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What's Paul trying to say here? If you've come to Christ by the way of the cross, you are saved. There's nothing else to add to that, okay? You are saved. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a spot for you in heaven. Your goose is cooked. It's the good news of the gospel, amen, somebody? So just know, when we talk about salvation, that's justification, we're just talking about positional holiness. God declares you are holy because of my son. And when we're talking about sanctification, now starts the process of actual holiness. Let's go home on this. Let's talk about how it happens, okay? Ricky, why are you closing the sermon with this? Because this is the one thing we don't work on anymore. Grace is good, but there's another element of grace that helps me truly live out this thing to my potential. 
We just don't talk about it like we used to anymore. And my fear is that we are showing the culture an irrelevant witness to the gospel. And you and I allowing Jesus to continue to move us more and more towards his way of doing life has the potential to bring more folks to heaven. And that's why we talk about this. So how does it happen? Notice verse 5. Paul says, put to death. Everybody say, kill it. Yeah. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, okay? What the Puritans called mortification, the idea of putting something to death. Everybody say, kill it. The idea is that something's got to happen in the believer with their sin struggle. Paul says the attitude and posture you need to have is one of a killer. He says, put to death. That's a big word. He's not saying play with it. He's not saying box. He's not saying get out the Xbox or the PlayStation. He's saying when it comes to sin struggle, your attitude and posture has to be that of putting it to death. So see the contrast. Verse 1, he says, you've been raised to life. Verse 5, he says, now you have the power to put something to death, okay? It's the idea that your attitude with sin has to change. And I'm just going to kind of say this, okay? It is what it is, right? But y'all, Christians concerning sin struggles have become mamby, pamby, thumb-sucking Christians. If I, if I may. <laughs> when it comes to sin struggles, I don't know what's happened to us, but all of a sudden, we just kind of assume that we're supposed to always be defeated by it, right? We don't even fight like we used to fight. So, yeah, I just got a sin struggle. It's just a thing. It's just, a, it's just who I am. It's just, a, it's just a always happen. It happened to my dad. It happened to my granddad. It happened to my great-granddad. So it's just me. And I just, I don't know what is me. What? The Bible says kill it. So your attitude's got to change from, I don't know what I'm going to do. You got to go to your 1984 karate kid, Ralph Macchio. Whoop, you got you to change. You, you got to kill that thing, okay? So there's no one here who if a cockroach was all of a sudden getting up your shoulder and ready to kiss you in the mouth. There's no one here who would say, oh, my gosh, it's a cockroach. And it's just, oh, my gosh, my dad had them and my granddad, and it's just me. No, if you saw a cockroach on your shoulder, you would jump up and you would get, get it! <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. That's what you got to do to sin, okay? Ricky, you just said we're saved, though. Our goose is, I know. But there's an opportunity to enjoy even more of what God is trying to do in your life. That's all I'm talking about. So, um, when I get saved, hear it. The penalty of sin is gone. It's <laughs> the good news, isn't it? In, in salvation, the penalty of sin is removed, but in this earthly life, the presence of sin remains. <laughs> to be honest, when I was a teenager, got saved December 14th, 1992. when I gave my heart and life to Jesus at age 16. And you just need to know I was girl crazy. And I just had an issue, like lust was my battle. And when the Lord saved me, I was so excited because I just knew the next day when I went to school that those girls were no longer going to be fine. (laughs) I was just like, yes, Jesus is in my heart. They're going to look like forest trolls. This will be amazing. And I, could, I just couldn't wait to get to school and no longer be tempted. And then I got to school, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're still fine. <laughs> Anybody in Christ now and got some old habits that still looks fine to you? See, the penalty of sin may be gone, but the presence of sin 
remains. I'm from the country, and every now and then you walk outside and you see a rattlesnake. And any other snake you let live, but when you saw a rattler, your job was to kill it. And as country boys, you just knew to find the biggest rock you could and just chop that sucker to the head chopped off. And anybody from the country will tell you that when you chop the head off, that snake was dead and it can't, it can't hurt you. But it just had a way of still wiggling. It still had a presence about him. Can I get a Stevie Wonder witness? <laughs> That's sin. And what Paul is saying is don't play with that snake. You got to kill it, okay? Now, let's go home, but essentially, my, my encouragement to you is mortify temptation. Make war with temptation. And what God is saying in Colossians 3 is if you rail against your sin, I'll rally by your side. If you rail against your sin, I'll rally by your side. Now, we all know this. We've been in church. We've done that. And all of us know this about obvious sin struggles, right? And so my assumption here is that no one is dealing with the sin and the temptation of murder. (laughs) At least I really hope so, right? Like, a lot of us get this about obvious stuff like adultery and uh, curse, whatever you want to call the obvious stuff. I want to encourage you to ask Jesus to partner with you for the not-so-obvious, John Wesley's mother famously said that anything that distracts your vision from the Lord, anything that distracts your vision from the Lord's people, anything that distracts your vision from the Lord's will is sin to you. What what was she saying? She was saying that there could be sins that in and of themselves, it ain't sin at all. But when it hooks up with you, it becomes sinful. I'm going to say that again. There's some things in our life, mature evangelical Christian, that in and of itself is not a big deal, right? It's not a sin. But when it gets with you, it becomes sin. I want to encourage you to fight that fight because I think that's the stuff that gets you and I, right? It's the stuff that in and of itself, it's, it's justifiable. It's legitimate. But when we get with it, it becomes a sin struggle to us. So I'm going to go there. Here we go. All right? <laughs> okay. Here we go. Uh, some of you won't agree with everything I'm going to say, by the way. So, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with a cigarette. Email me. I won't read it. But I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with I would say there's no sin in a cigarette. You may disagree. That's fine. But I would say there's nothing, you know, in and of itself, it's a cigarette, okay? Six packs a week destroying your temple. Cutting your years short with your family. It's probably sin. There's nothing wrong uh, with a video game. Fortnite. Well, whatever. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in and of itself, right? But truth be told, for some of us, Fortnite has become Fort Year. Living at home with mama at 38 with Spider-Man pajamas on. That's probably sinful. Unless you think I'm talking about you, let me, let me go personal. In the name of Jesus, there is nothing wrong with Popeye's fried chicken. Nothing. Three times last week, Ricky? Really? Really? 
It's probably sinful, okay? My point is there are some things that in and of themselves is not a sin, but when it gets with you, it's sinful. Jesus says, I want invitation, and I want to rally by your side on that stuff, okay? Uh, by confession, I have uh, a love for mobster movies. I love mobster. I love them. I used to watch it all the time. I love Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Godfather 3. We all know that Godfather 2 is the best of all time. The movie Casino, Goodfellas, you know. I love these Jersey guys, these New York guys with these accents. You know what I'm saying? They talk like this and they do these things. Bada boom, bada bing. I got to do what I got to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Forget about it. I whack the guy. I love mobster <laughs> movies. Oh, hey, hey. Oh, hey. I love Mops movies. About, about 15 years ago now, I was just watching them all the time. And in prayer, the Holy Spirit said, I think you need to, I think you need to check these mobster movies. It's a bit much. And I remember arguing with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's like, Holy Spirit, <laughs> it's not a sin in and of itself. Hello? It's like, Holy Spirit, it's not a sin. It's not an issue. Come on, Holy Spirit. It's a movie. Come on. Come on. Then I noticed at work that everybody, every time somebody ticked me off, my first response was not to pray for the guy or show him love, but when they ticked me off, what I would be thinking is, I ought to just whack this guy. <laughs> Forget about it. I'll take this guy out of here. I got to do what I got to do. What are you going to do? Forget about it. Boom, bada boom, bada bing. He's out of here. And then the Holy Spirit said, um, you're a pastor? <laughs> and I kind of don't want you whacking my people? <laughs> it's not sin in and of itself. But when it got with me, it's sin. My life changed when I finally realized, oh, I can't have Oreos in my house at all. Because <laughs> some of us think, well, I just got to have self-control. Some of your self-control is never to buy it. <laughs> Can I get an Oreo witness? <laughs> I love Oreos, man, the chocolate wafer, the vanilla the vanilla icing, it reminds me of my marriage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Did you get it? Did you get it? Anyway, I love Oreos. <laughs> but I realize, I realize with Oreos, like, I don't just have one or two. Like, I have one or two sleeves. <laughs> Jesus says, come into this. Let me say this and I'll get out of your way. Some of us have smartphones that we need to exchange for really, really dumb ones. Some of us have a job our spirit and flesh can't handle. And in the name of success, you stayed in a job that your character can't handle. God says, I'd rather you make minimum wage and be holy than be rich and live like a fool. Brother and sister, they don't take you and I out anymore because of sin. 
they take us out for the rumor. How much more on guard do we need to be? Are you ready now for the good news? You call on Jesus to help you with sin. It's a prayer that gets answered immediately. Remember, I'm a living witness. If you pray for a billion dollars, I'm a living witness. God will say, wait. (laughs) You pray for help with sin struggle. He rushes in to help you. Be honest. Be serious about sin. Thank you for having me this week. I leave you with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each and every one of you and bring you peace. For I ask this blessing over us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And should we not see each other again in this life, I'll see you at the feet.